for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. I have the uh, topic of why pray. Now, for any of you who've done an Alpha course, this is one of the topics that they talk about in Alpha, because prayer is a huge part of the Christian life, and it's something that we all, as Christians, should be doing. And why not, you might say. So the other day, I noticed a couple of stories on the BBC website, and they were quite interesting ones, because they were, one was about the Pope, and the other was about the Archbishop of Canterbury, but both of them tell us quite different things about prayer. Firstly, there was this really bizarre story. Can you go to the other slide about the, 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 about the Pope? There was this really bizarre story about the Pope creating an app. So the Pope's created this prayer app so that if you wanted to, as a follower of Catholicism, you could go and pray with the Pope on his app. So he's kind of come up with a solution, or Roman Catholics have come up with a solution in order to encourage people to pray along with the Pope. And the other story that I quite like, as a charismatic Christian myself, um, I found out this week that the Archbishop of Canterbury prays in tongues every day when he prays. And I think that's brilliant. And if you know anything about the Archbishop of Can- uh, Canterbury, he uh, used to be an oil executive and he became a Christian uh, at Holy Trinity Brompton, which is where Alpha started. Um, and so he prays in tongues every morning. But what you'll find is, from both of these stories, they both recognise something that is true. And um, in fact, actually, in the story about uh, Justin Welby, he actually says, prayer is quite hard work. Um, and they both indicate something to us, that prayer is hard, prayer is difficult. Something that naturally comes easy, but it's something almost you have to fight for. Something you have to fight for. And in a culture where everything is instant, you know, I get now frustrated that Amazon Prime doesn't show up as soon as I order it, I want the knock at the door as soon as I've clicked the button. I'm not even happy with next day anymore. You know, in a culture where everything is instant, it could be quite easy for us as 21st century Christians to kind of go, do you know what? I won't bother with prayer because it seems too hard work for me. So why pray? Well, I think prayer, you have to bear with me on this really abstract analogy. I think prayer is a lot like water. Prayer is a lot like water. Without water... I've got some here. Without water, we couldn't survive. So without water, I would, wouldn't survive. In fact, actually, I was looking this up the other day. I could probably go up to a week without water if I was really, really, you know, like fit and healthy and in the right environment. But realistically, in a couple of days, if I didn't have a drink of water, I'd be dead. Um, is the, is the, the reality of it. So I need water to survive. But not only that, actually, we know that the whole earth needs water in order to grow, for plants to grow. Animals need water in order to to feed, to grow, to survive as well. We need water. Water is essential. And I would say that prayer is essential. It's just like water. It's just as essential to the Christian as water is. The act of coming before God, spending time in his presence, listening to his voice, telling him our hopes and our fears, our love for him, that changes us. Peter said that we should cast all our anxiety onto Jesus because he cares for us. In prayer, what we do is we make Jesus Lord. We say to God, I'm going to make you the most important person in my life. I'm going to make you Lord. You're going to be the person that I follow, the person that I look to. We verbalise and we recognise our need for him and our dependence on him. And as we continue in prayer, actually God grows us. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As we pray, 
we bring our lives to him in prayer and he gives us peace. And it's a peace that transcends our situations. It's like water for our thirsty souls. So that's one thing that prayer gives us. It gives us that peace. But secondly, when we pray, we also receive joy. The Bible says that in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. There's fullness of joy in the presence of God. When we pray, we begin to experience God's love for us, his presence with us. We begin to experience joy. And Richard spoke about that at the start of January, that you can experience joy in God. You see, my relationship with Claire, she's not in the room yet, um, but my relationship with Claire, oh, is she? Oh, you're there. My relationship with you brings me joy. I was hoping she wasn't going to be in the room for this, because I was going to get all soppy. Um, And the joy actually comes from all the time that we've spent together, the way that we know each other, the experiences that we've shared together, the time that we've spent. Actually, when I'm with Claire, I feel joyful, okay? Not all the time, because sometimes I'm grumpy, she'll tell you that. Um, But I feel joy, and joy is something that transpires, it kind of, it it goes above. It, it goes above just no, mere, mere happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Actually, joy is something much deeper. Um, I'm not ser- searching for a relationship with anybody else elsewhere because in Claire I find joy. In Claire I find joy, which um, that's a really good thing. You should know that, that I'm not searching for a relationship anywhere else. Because actually in Claire I find joy and I find love and I know her. And it's the same when we come into the presence of God. We can know joy when we encounter God. Augustine, St. Augustine said, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. The Bible says that in his presence is that fullness of joy. So what's it saying? Because you can find joy elsewhere. As I've just said, I find joy in my relationship with my wife. You can find joy in friendships. You can find joy in your job, in your children. Joy isn't exclusive to God. But there is this kind of joy that you can only ever find in God. And this joy is kind of like this. It's knowing that he loves you. It's knowing that he's for you. It's knowing that he has a future for you. It's knowing that he is enough for you. It's knowing that he's in control of every situation you're facing. It's knowing in the end that actually it's really not about you at all, but it's all about him. And as you pray, as I come to God in prayer, and as you come to God in prayer, you'll find that that starts to take place, that God starts to give you a new perspective. He gives you a different perspective. It's a a heaven's perspective on our situations. Prayer is, not only does these things for us, but it also is powerful as well. Prayer is powerful. Now, I found out this week, so they were, they've they've sent this, um, they've sent some, they're trying to set up a mining mission to, to, to the moon. I don't know if you've seen this. And one of the reasons why they're setting up a mining mission for the moon is they're trying to mine water off the moon. And you go, well, that's crazy. We've got enough water here. And the reason they're trying to mine water off the moon is they've, there's something really significant about water because water isn't just something that sustains us. But if you split water up, you get hydrogen and oxygen. And hydrogen is the basis for rocket fuel. Okay? So just like water is powerful, prayer is powerful. In fact, actually, your prayers are powerful before God. They are like rocket fuel. My, my favourite quote on prayer, and I've said it before, but I'll say it again, is, is by, by a, a writer called Andrew Murray. And he said, the power of prayer depends almost entirely upon our comprehension of who it is with whom we speak. If you can comprehend how great and powerful God is, then all of a sudden, the power of your prayers become just exponentially powerful because you realise who it is you're talking to. 
there is power in prayer. One of my favourite um, uh, kind of church history type people or Christian history people is, is a, a gentleman called George Muller. Um, if you've ever read about George Muller, you will know that he was a uh, Prussian who moved to England to be a missionary in the 1800s. And he ended up in Bristol where he felt God calling him to open an orphanage. And in his lifetime, he cared for for and educated around 10,000 orphans, which is incredible in and of itself. He felt God calling him to open up an orphanage, and as he did it, it's like God opened doors and doors and doors. But what is most remarkable about him is his attitude to prayer. George Muller literally took God at his word. So when Jesus says, ask and you'll receive... He asked. He just thought, well, no, actually, I'm going to believe that God is who he says he is. I'm going to put God in the driving seat. I'm going to trust him. God says, ask and you'll receive. So I'll ask and I'll receive. Um, He prayed for things to happen and amazing things happened. There was a story early on in his ministry when him and his wife, they they sat around the table with all the children, but they didn't have any breakfast to eat. And they just prayed, God, would you just come and provide breakfast? And as they finished praying, the baker knocked on the door and had bread for everybody there. It was just like one of these random chance encounters that the the baker just turned up randomly. Well, not so randomly, because God provided for them. And the milkman then turned up and gave them plenty of fresh milk for free. And it was just like everything he did, he experienced these amazing hand of God on his life. As he prayed for stuff, it happened. Um, You and I would say £1.3 million was a lot of money, but back in the 1800s, imagine how much money that was. And They raised all of that money. God gave it to them, not through asking for it, but they just asked God, and God just kept providing for them. It wasn't they didn't ask people, they just asked God, and all the time God kept providing for them. George Muller believed that prayer changed situations, and we can believe the same thing. Prayer can change situations in our lives. So that verse that inspired George Muller is is from Matthew 7. Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. You see, Jesus wants us, as Christians, to take him at his word. He wants us to trust him and go, do you know what? God, you've told me to ask and I'm going to ask and believe that you are going to bless me in faith. There's this verse in James that says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Do you know, if you're a Christian, you're a righteous person. You're a righteous person if you're a Christian. Paul writes, God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you have been made righteous. You have been made righteous before the Father. Therefore, your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are powerful. They are like rocket fuel in your life. They have the ability to change situations. So... Prayer is powerful. It's like rocket fuel. Prayer is also like water in that you need it. But also another analogy for prayer is it's like a tap following on my water thing. Prayer is like a tap. It's not just a glass of water that you have once, but it's something that you can keep going back to again and again and again. It's a tap you can keep going back to again, and it's an endless supply you always have access to. You see... There's this amazing thing in scripture, you see God doing this thing where you see him dwelling with his people. And in the Bible we see this happening through a variety of temples, places of worship. So the first temple is, the first temple is Eden. God dwells with his 
people in Eden. He dwells with Adam and Eve in the temple of the Garden of Eden. They commune with him. They have relationship with him. But their sin causes separation. And so God, being holy and righteous, separates himself from them and says, Adam and Eve, you're going to have to leave the garden. You're going to have to leave this temple in order that actually we we need to be separate from one another because I'm holy and you're not holy. Um, So God wants relationship. So God effectively creates a way for man to have relationship with him. And he does that through another series of temples. We have what he does with the Israelites. We have a tabernacle, which is a tent that is set up. And in that tent, there is this place called the Holy of Holies. And in that tent, once every year, the, the high priest would go and sacrifice for the sins of the people. It would be a substitutionary sacrifice. He would take a lamb in and he would, it would be sacrificed. The blood would be a way of kind of paying for the sin of the people. It was symbolic of the debt that they owed God. And that then got sort of transferred forward in time. You have the first temple that was built by Solomon in Jerusalem, which was effectively like a stone version of this tabernacle, of this tent. And then that gets destroyed, and then you have a second temple. And the second temple was built by Ezra and the returning Israelites um, after the exile um, that you can read about in Scripture. And so they built this temple, and this temple was the representation of a place for God to come and dwell with his people. So God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. You can see it's a sanctuary up there. If you see that little bit at the top of where it's the sanctuary, that is the Holy of Holies. And once a year, the priest, the high priest, would go into that place and he would offer a sacrifice. He would be only allowed to go into that place once every year. You or I would never be able to go in. In fact, actually, if you look uh, down here, I'm sorry, ladies, but in fact, actually, ladies would only be able to be in the court of women. But this is, this is not just any ladies. These are Jewish ladies. I don't know. Is, is there anybody who's from a Jewish background here? Okay, so we've got like one person in the room. You'd be, you'd be able to go in there. That'd be, be all right. But all the rest of us, we wouldn't even be allowed to anywhere near this because actually we are not uh, Jewish. And so actually for us, we wouldn't have no access to this. God's made a way for us to be able to commune with him. And the way that he did that was the cross. And at the cross, what happened was, and it says this in in Matthew, that actually the temple curtain was torn in two. That was the, the, the curtain in the Holy of Holies. It was about a foot thick of fabric, and it was torn in two. Physically, this happened in Jerusalem when Jesus died on the cross. The temple curtain was torn in two and that physical reality of something happen- something happening with the the curtain is a spiritual reality for us today and that spiritual reality is this you have constant access to god you have constant access to him you don't need to go to a priest in order to have access to god you don't need to go to one of the leaders here to have access to god you can have access to god whenever you want to because of what jesus did on the cross That access is incredibly important to you today. It is like a tap you can keep going back to. In the uh, Ephesians, Paul says this is one of the great Trinitarian statements of the New Testament. He says, through him, that's Jesus, we have access to the Father by the one Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And it's like that Jesus takes you into the presence of God because of what he's done for you. He therefore becomes like the high priest who would go into that holy of holy place. And every time you pray, it's like Jesus, our high priest, takes us into the presence of God. And we do that by the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. When you pray, there is this amazing thing going on where you are having access into the throne room of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
So when you pray, you're not just praying into, into thin air. You are being taken by the Spirit through the work of Jesus into the, the high place of God, into the throne room of God. Your prayers are powerful and effective and you have access to God. So my argument would be, why wouldn't you want to pray? You know, if that's the case, if God's given you the ability to actually go into that holy place, to actually go in before the presence of God, why would you not want to do it? It seems crazy to me. If God's made a way for you, not just to pray, but to have a relationship with him, to know him, to to really know him, then actually, why wouldn't you want to do it? Because the other thing about all of this is this, is that actually, you're not just going before holy God, you're going before your father. And Jesus said, when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus encouraged us to pray, not only because prayers are powerful, not only because we need them, but prayers develop our relationship with God. It's a relationship, not a ritual. It's a conversation between our Father and us. Jesus taught us to pray to our Father, and speaking to your dad is a personal experience. Jesus says we can call God Father, and our relationship with him is personal. The heart of both prayer and of the gospel is that God wants to have a relationship with us. Also notice that Jesus didn't say, when you pray, go to church or go to the synagogue. He said, go to your room. You can do prayer anywhere you want. It's not a religious ritual, but it's something that you can do anywhere. That's what Jesus has done for us in dying on the cross, in rising again from death. He has made us a way that we can have a relationship with God and we can pray whenever we want. We don't have to worry about where or when. In fact, actually elsewhere, Paul says that we should pray at all times. We can talk to him whenever we want. It's an intimate relationship between a father and a child. And I know for some of you, there will be a thing in the back of your heads where actually what you do is you take your human understanding of fathering and fathers and you place them onto God's because maybe you didn't have a very good dad. And so when somebody says to you, hey, do you know what actually you're saying, you know, like I'm saying today, God, you can know him as a good father. Actually for you, that, 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 that comes with a connotation because you had... You haven't had a good, up, a, a good kind of experience of, of fathering in your upbringing. You don't know what a good father looks like. And I just say to you that actually what you find is as you have that relationship with God, if you, you trust me on this, as you start to engage with him in prayer, you'll realise that he's a good father. And you'll start to understand what a good father looks like. As you start to talk to God, as he starts to communicate with you through his word you'll find that actually he is a good father and your expectations and understanding of fathering will change. So my encouragement to you today is don't be put off by past experience of fathering, but trust that God is a good father. He's a good father. You are known by God. That's what the Bible says. And he cares about everything that you bring to him. He's a good father. He's he's never not interested in you. He's always interested this morning, yesterday morning actually, I, I was going to say this morning, but yesterday morning was even worse. I was really grumpy yesterday morning because Edie, Claire asked Edie to come upstairs and wake me up. Edie decided that she was going to poke me in the face until I woke up for about five minutes. And I, to be honest with you, I woke up in a bad mood because she poked me in the face to wake me up. I mean, you know, it, was, it wasn't just poking, it was poking. It was quite hard. Um, and... I have to confess, I'm not a perfect dad, believe it or not. I know you all think I probably am, but I'm not, okay? Um, 
I, I hope that as Edie grows up, she learns that actually I'm not perfect, but she knows that I can show her who is perfect. I can show her God's a father who is perfect. And whilst I try and model that father heart of love to her and to Jude, at the same time, I know I'm never going to be perfect. But I thank God that God isn't like me. I thank God that God isn't, uh, isn't a father who, who wants a bit more sleep in the morning, who isn't a father who sometimes doesn't actually want to have that conversation because he just wants a bit of rest. God's a perfect father. He always wants to talk to you. There is not a time that he doesn't want to talk to you. In fact, actually, what some of us do is when we sin, we think that God doesn't want to talk to us anymore. We think, actually, oh, do you know what I'm going to do? I've sinned, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm, he won't want to talk to me for a little while. I'll give it a day, and then I'll pray again, because I know that he'll want to talk to me now, because we've had a little bit of time, a little bit of time's passed. Actually, do you know the thing that you should be doing when you sin? You shouldn't be running away from God, but you should be running straight to God. You should be going straight back to the Father and saying, God, I just got it wrong. Jesus, would you just forgive me? Father, would you just help me? Help me, Father, to get it right. You know, it's like those times when your child draws on something they shouldn't have drawn on. I'd much rather find out about it straight away than I would later on in the day. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Actually, do you know what? God just wants that relationship with us. He wants to care for us and tend to us and and look after us. That doesn't mean that there's not discipline in it, but actually it also means that actually we want that relationship with him where we know his goodness over us and we know we can come to him however we're feeling and whatever's happened with us. Lastly, and finally, prayer is a lot like a well. Prayer is a lot like a well. Prayer is a well like a tap that you can keep drawing from. But like a well, we see wells are slightly different from taps in that wells have to be dug. Wells have to be dug. There's a thing about prayer that it's like digging a well. And sometimes it's hard. Like I said earlier at the start of the talk, it's hard sometimes digging a well. The more you dig into prayer, the deeper your relationship with God goes. And actually what happens is the deeper you go, the more he encourages you to dig. And it's like as you get to know God more, it's like as you start drawing from the water. You know, if you dig a well, you dig, you dig a well down, you get some water out, but then you need to dig it again deeper in order to get more water out. And actually, in some ways, there's a sense in which prayer is a little bit like that as well. That actually, there's a, there's a digging that takes place. There's a, a sense in which you have to get into the presence of God and dig deeply into uh, him. Um, last week, Anna mentioned that she's reading the Bible in one year, and I am as well. And I have to confess something. I'm a little bit behind. In fact, actually, I'm quite a bit behind. So much so that I've reset the app so that I can catch up. Oh, there's grace for you. See, there's grace for me too. Yeah, I've reset the app. So I'm now finishing on like the 11th of January next year rather than the 31st of December. But that's okay. God's good. Um, And whilst I'm behind, and I could give you loads of excuses, which I have got for why I haven't done it. But whilst I'm behind, actually, the other day as I was catching up, I was reading this story uh, from uh, Genesis 20. And I really felt God speaking to me about, about this today. Um, and there's this story about Isaac going back to uh, redig some wells of Abraham, his father. And the story goes like this. This is Genesis 26. So Isaac moved away from there and camped in the valley of Jera, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Jerah quarrelled with those of Jacob and said, the water is ours. 
So he named the well Ezak. That means kind of quarrelling. Because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well. But they quarrelled over that one as well. So he named it Sitna. I think that means contention. Then he moved on from there and he dug another well and no one quarrelled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. So, okay, this is a fairly abstract story, but I really felt God speaking to me about it and I felt God speaking to me about it in three ways and this is actually how I want to finish off this morning. Firstly, perhaps prayer for you as an individual over the last season, it's been like, one of those wells that's been dug, but then it's been refilled back in. Because in this story, what's happened is the, is the, the Philistines have come along and they've covered in all the wells of, of Abraham. And, and, and Isaac's servants have to redig these wells because they've been covered in. Perhaps for you, maybe, prayer's been feeling like a real battle for you. It's like a battle that you're not winning at all. It's maybe some, it feels like something's happened. It's like sapped your joy, but also it just feels hard. Like prayer feels hard for you. Maybe you're even questioning your relationship with God. Now, interestingly, Isaac didn't contend. He didn't contend, he didn't fight. You notice in the story, he didn't actually fight. What he did was, he just decided to go and dig somewhere else. Where there was contention, what Isaac did was, he went, do you know what, actually I'm going to go and dig somewhere else. But I really feel God for you, he's calling you to contend. He's calling you to fight for your relationship with him. He's calling you to a place where you can fight for your relationship with him and fight for your prayer life with him. Fight for the time. Fight for digging into the presence of God. You see, Isaac didn't get the water straight away. He did face opposition. And the encouragement in that for you is don't, be, don't give up. Be persistent. I spoke last year on the persistent widow. Be persistent like the persistent widow who doesn't give up going to the judge to get what she wants. Keep coming to God in prayer. As you do, you will know a thirst that you have in you quenched and start to know the power of prayer again in your life. As you come to him and trust him and start digging into that well, you will know the power of prayer in your life again. Secondly, I think there's a message for this in this story for us as a church. As we step into this series on prayer, there's an encouragement for all of us to dig into God, to dig into God in new ways. To get back into old habits, like the old wells that were redug. To get back into old habits. To blow off the dust, maybe, on the place that you pray and crack on in prayer. To make it a priority, not just as individuals, but as a church. You know, when we pray on the 6th of February in the evening, make it a priority in your diary to be there. It's going to be hard. Prayer is hard, let's be honest. But make it a priority. Say, no, do you know what? I'm going to put this first. I'm going to put seeking God's at the top of the pile in my agenda list. See, we want to be a praying church. We don't just want to be a church that prays. It's a very different thing. We want to be a church that is earmarked by prayer, by a church where people come and they know that they're going to be prayed for and things are going to change in their lives. That when we pray, we know that actually God is moving about us, that we have confidence in who we are in God. We want to be a praying church. And we want to contend for God's presence in our lives to contend for our town in prayer. We want to fight for it. We believe that God is about a work in Ashford, but he's doing it through us, his people. And we have to fight for it. It's something we have to contend for because there is an enemy. And thirdly, so there's those first two things. So maybe as an individual, you feel like wells have been covered over and, you, and, and my encouragement to you is redig them out. Secondly, as a church, it's time to dig deeper in prayer as a church together. Thirdly, there's a real generational thing in this story. 
And I really felt, you know, I've said this before, but I constantly say it because I think it's really important. If you're in my age band, let's say anybody under 40, um, I'm 36 this year, I know. It's that horrible moment, you know, well, most of you will have already understood this, but it's this horrible moment when you realise you're not in the, you're not in like the lowest age category in the X Factor anymore. And then you get to the point where you're not even in the middle age category in the X Factor anymore, to the point where you're in the overs. And it's like, it's kind of, you've been abandoned to the overs, like part of the X Factor. And I've been feeling that for a few years now, but look, if you're here and you're under 40, maybe just slightly older than that, but I think there's a real generational thing in this for us. See, Isaac went back to the place of his father to start digging wells again. As a generation, many of us have been blessed by those older than us in the room, in this church, who have led the way in prayer and seeking God. Those of my parents' generation fought for the renewal of the church in the 60s, 70s and 80s. We had Terry here a couple of weeks ago. Terry's life's work has been about trying to restore what he believed was a missing part of the church. He wanted to restore the church to a New Testament value system. He fought for it, and he fights for it in prayer. He does it still now. You see, my parents' generation, those of you in, in, in that generation, you saw God move and pour out his spirit in the 1990s. I witnessed it, but I was young. You lived and breathed a life of seeking God in prayer. And honestly, I think my generation, I think those younger than me, those slightly older than me, have been incredibly blessed to follow on from you. But the danger is, as well, is that we become reliant on other people to do the prayer work for us. We become reliant on it. Oh, it's okay, there'll be some other people at the prayer meeting. We become reliant upon it. I think my encouragement is this, is that in this story we see Isaac redigging the wells of his father. And I always say this, every generation has to seek the presence of God for themselves. Every generation. And no matter how old you are in this room... In you and your generation, you can't rely on others for a relationship with God. You've got one yourself. And my encouragement to you is to start digging wells in him. I want to see God move in my lifetime. I want to see God move here. I genuinely want to see a revival take place in this nation. I want to see it take place in Ashford. How cool would that be? If this was the place that God chose to pour out his spirit, that people actually came into our church building every Sunday and were getting saved and changed and redeemed and that the whole of society was changed around us because God turned up in power, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. But you know how that happens is through prayer. The Hebridean revival started by two old ladies praying until four o'clock in the morning every night and then God just poured out his spirit. And in these small towns... The church buildings started getting filled from instead of like 30 people there, there were 800 people there receiving God. And it was like God just did something. And God will do something if we come to him in prayer. You see, I want to know God the way some of you do. And I know that I'm speaking to people here who are amazing prayers. I want to learn from you. And I know that that means working hard to dig deep, to get into his presence, to put myself in the way of God. And my encouragement to all of us, whether we're my age, younger or older, is to keep doing that, is to push in on him and trust. You know what? God is, is, prayer is like water. I I need it for my life. Prayer is like a tap. I can keep coming to it again and again and again. And I can have a relationship with him. But also, I need to keep fighting for that well. I need to keep contending for it and fighting for it. Um, So, yeah, can I pray for you before I run away? (laughs) This is very weird. I'm going to go and do this exact same thing again in a minute. Um, But can we stand up? Let's pray together as the band come back.
Lord Jesus, I, I just thank you that you, um, that you love us. Jesus, I thank you that you made a way for us to know you. Jesus, I thank you that there was a, a point in history where we would have had access to you, God. But yet, actually, because of, your, because of your death, because of your resurrection, we can know life. We can know relationship. We can know that we can come to you all of the time. We can come to you and know your presence in our lives. And Lord, I pray for my friends here, whether they know you or not, maybe they don't even know you. Maybe they're not Christians here this morning. Lord, I pray that they would come to find, Lord God, that they can know you in a relationship. They can have a friendship with the living God. They can call you father and friend. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters here in Christ, Lord. I pray that this would be a season for us as a church where we dig deep wells into you, where we, we seek your presence where we put you first and say, Jesus, come and be king of our lives, where we say, no, we are going to hunger and thirst after the things of God. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, where I pray now as as we continue on in our meeting in a time of worship, God, come and fill this place with your presence, God, that there will be an overflow into the week ahead. Amen.